Ephesians chapter 1. And we are in verse 19, picking up at the end of Paul's prayer in verse 19 and going down to verse 23 to the end. People are already standing up. And, you know how it works. and so go ahead and stand up. And so we're going to be reading from verse 19 down to verse 23. And we are in the New King James. You can read it up on the screen, but we like to read it together. And so let's read now. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in which is to come. And he had put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God that's already filled with the nutrients that we need for our spiritual life. We're going to receive it by faith and be nourished by it right now. Holy Spirit, again, we call upon you and trust in your ministry right now and your opening eyes ears and heart of the people causing them to see hear and understand what's being said father i thank you for speaking to your children that each of your children walk away hearing something out of this for them and that they can apply and i think you only you can do that miracle i believe it's happening right now in jesus name everybody said amen, amen. high five someone on the way down All right, let's start with verse 19, start unpacking this verse. Verse 19 says again, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? In this prayer, Paul, I think it's important what Paul prays for. Uh, oftentimes our prayers are around things that we want or people we don't want in our life, praying them out or praying things into our life that we want. Well, Paul's prayer didn't center around that. Paul's prayer is always centered around prayer for revelation, understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And so all that, what's that all have in common? Just see what he already has, what's already been given to us in Christ Jesus. We just need to see what's been given to us so faith can appropriate it. And so in this prayer, Paul prays for three things that the saints need to see. First of all, we need to see the hope of Jesus's calling. Oftentimes I've looked at that prayer and I've said my calling and I've said our call, my calling, but it didn't say my calling. It says his calling. Verse 18, you can pop it up there. Ephesians 1, 18. He says that you may see the hope of his calling. And so really the whole book of Ephesians and the New Testament understood in the words in him, in him. What does that mean? That when we accepted Jesus, we were plunged by the Holy Spirit into Christ and we've been made to, to drink of one spirit. And we're joined to the Lord by uh, the Holy Spirit through our spirit. And he shares everything he has freely with us. And so, again, we don't have our own covenant with God. We don't have our own situation going just directly with God. But it's always through Christ that we have. And so everything Jesus has, he shares it with us. And so we're going to find out that he has a calling on his life. And so his calling is a calling that he's left for us to fulfill. 
Jesus came in Acts chapter 1 says, and what Jesus began to teach and to do. But then when he went up into heaven, he said, tag, you're it. You're my body. And what I began to teach and to do, I need you to complete. And so every one of us have a part of his calling on this earth. And so again, your calling is really his calling. You don't have your ministry, it's his ministry. You really don't have your own anointing, it's his anointing. He's sharing it with you. So to give up on your calling is to give up on Jesus' calling. And so again, don't give up on your calling because it's Jesus' calling really that you have. And next of all, it says you need to know what that calling is, is to, to whatever he was called to do on earth, now you're called to do that. But also you need to see the riches of the inheritance in Christ. And so it's the riches of his inheritance. What does that mean? He's the heir of God. And so he owns it as the heir, everything God has, but he shares it with you. We find in Romans chapter 8, we're the joint heirs with Christ. And so he shares that with us. So we're a co-heir with Christ because he freely shares it with us. We don't belong, it doesn't belong to us directly from God, but it comes through Jesus. And so we need to see what are the, what's the riches in that inheritance. Why would we need to understand what are the riches that God left us? To fulfill the calling. What were the riches for? To fulfill his call. We see in the Old Testament when Israel left Egypt, they received gold and silver and precious stones and clothing. The Egyptians just gave them all this stuff. They came walking out with all these clothes on and jewels and gold. But what was it for? There was no Walmart. There was no mall. There was no place to go spend this money. What was it for? It was for the kingdom. It was for the tabernacle. It was for the work of God. So why have God given us the riches in our inheritance? It's for the kingdom of God. Yes, you can get blessed in the natural. Yes, God blesses you with a nice home and a nice car. But those things are things. But God has called you to have an eternal purpose to fulfill his calling and left you the riches of his inheritance to fulfill that. But lastly, there's something else that you need besides understanding your call, which is Jesus's call, and the riches that has been left to you. You need to understand that you need power to fulfill that call. And it's not your power. You don't come up with your own power. It's his power. Look again. It says that what is the exceeding greatness of his power? He shares it with you equally and according to the working of his mighty power. Look at the word exceeding greatness. Say exceeding greatness. In the Greek, this means above and beyond. And the next word is where we get the word mega. Mega. Mega means it's huge. Well, here it says, Paul says, it is far beyond mega. What is his power? He has far beyond mega power available for you to fulfill your call. And notice it says, what is the exceeding greatness or mega, beyond mega of his power towards us who what? Believe. So it's again, this is for believers, not unbelievers. And it's for those believing believers. Ask someone, are you a believing believer? Because sometimes we're not a believing believer. We're a doubting believer. But we need to be a believing believer to tap into the power of God. Well, pastor, when I feel the power, that's when I believe I'll have the power. No, it doesn't work that way. That's the Thomas faith. That's Thomasina faith. He says, I'll, see, I'll believe it when I see it. No, you got to believe it. That's why you need Paul says pray for revelation, that you see that power available 24-7. It's flowing to you. It's towards you 24-7, and it's mega power, beyond mega power. 
And it's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We're going to look at this power today. And look at this word power. It's the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. We get our word dynamite from this word. The word dunamis means inherent power and ability that's released. Inherent power that's released. Example, an atom. We're all made up of atoms, not A-D-A-M, A-T-O-M. We're made of atoms. You know when a single atom has enormous inherent power? But you don't have, you don't experience that power unless it's released. And we found out how to tap in and release the power of the atom. And that was called splitting an atom. And that's where the atomic bomb came from. And so it was released. But that power was, inherent power was in that atom to start with. And so this is the kind of power that's flowing towards you right now for your situation. And so the power, this power is enormous, but, it, but it's actually in the Greek, dunamis is power under control, power under control. The atomic bomb was just devastating and had no control and it just went crazy. But you notice that this power of God and the same power in the atomic bomb, you know you can blow up a city with it or you can harness atomic power and you can light up a city with electricity. It's harnessed. So in the Greek, this word dunamis always means power under control. And so you, you're going to be able to have control in your life, but it's going to be super dynamic power. But that's towards the people of God. That's towards unbelievers where you're going to bless them with this power. But I believe it is destructive towards the devil. Tell someone you're a bomb ready to go off. To destroy up the works of the devil. So we have the, all of God's power to be a blessing to those around us. And notice it's towards us. It's flowing towards us, constantly flowing towards us. The power of God exerted towards raising Christ from the dead is now the same power directed towards you when you believe the word of God. Look in Luke chapter 1, look verse 37. We'll look at the New King James, but then I want to look in the Amplified. This verse, Luke 1, verse 37 this was an angel speaking to Mary about the virgin birth. Well, how is this ever going to be? I don't know a man. Well, the word of God was spoken to her. If she believed it, there would be power in that word to be able to fulfill it. Look in Luke chapter 1, look at verse 37. In your regular translation, it says, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's actually a very poor translation from the Greek. The actual Greek says, No rhema. No spoken word from the Lord is without power for it to be fulfilled. No spoken word is without power for it to be fulfilled. Look at the Amplified. It brings it out in the Amplified. For with God, nothing is ever impossible. Why? No word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Tell someone all you need is a word from God. And you can experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Tell, tell someone else, you got the power. All right, don't get carnal. We have no lack of power available to us, but we first must know it by revelation before we can tap into it by faith. We're waiting to feel the power before we believe we have the power. That's backwards in the kingdom of God. You must believe, release that faith by speaking or acting, 
and the power's released, just like power steering. It's always in your engine, but until you move the wheel, it doesn't kick in. And so the power, you have power in your life that's going to be released when you start speaking that rhema. It's not good for God to speak rhema to you. You need to speak that rhema. It has power in your heart, but you release that power out of your own mouth. And so the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is always flowing towards us and in us. We must tap into it by faith. It's a lot like electricity. Electricity is always flowing to this building because we're paying the bills, praise the Lord. So let's move our ties and offer back to keep the lights on and praise God. But I want you to say, we turn those lights out. Turn those lights out. Experience what most Christians are seeing here. It's like, oh, well, God, you got to do something. I have such a dark situation. I'm not, actually, I'm the only one operating in the light here. What's wrong with you guys? But you know that the power is flowing from the power plant to this building. It's flowing towards this building and in this building is flowing, but you got to tap into it. What do you got to do? You got to flip on the switch of faith. Turn on the f- switch of faith. Wow. It has the power to dispel darkness. And so that's the same thing. You have the power, but oftentimes we're sitting in the dark asking God to turn the light on. And he says, no, you need to understand the power's been flowing all along, 24-7, 365. You have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead flowing towards you. You need to tap into it by faith. You need to switch, turn the switch of faith on. And it says, according to the working of his mighty power. Paul bankrupts the Greek language in speaking of the amount of power it took to raise Jesus from the dead. He's using four different Greek words in this section of Scripture to talk about the different the kinds of power it took to raise Jesus from the dead. First of all, we looked at dunamis, the inherent power that's released. Here it says, and the working of his mighty power. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some Greek words to show you these are all different Greek words with different meanings to them. So again, dunamis is inherent power that's released, but the word working is the Greek word energeo. Energeo, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. We get the word energy from this word. And this means the release of energy. And so when Jesus was raised from the dead, there was a release of energy, divine energy, to raise him from the dead. It's not just the working, but the working of mighty power. Look at the word mighty. It's the Greek word iskus, iskus, I-S-C-H-U-S. This word means force, force. And then look at this word power. It's a different Greek word than dunamis we found in the previous verse. This word power is the Greek word kratos. Kratos. K-R-A-T-O-S. This word means ruling power. Do you ever hear the word democratic? Democracy. Demos, which means people in the Greek. And kratos, ruling. It's the rule of the people. And so here we find the inherent power of God was released in divine energy with the force of God that had the power to rule and reign. That's the power it took for God to raise Jesus from the dead. And so there is more power released in raising Christ from the dead than God released in making creation. I want you to see that. We're going to see the verse. Well, Pastor, where is the verse showing me that? Look in Psalms 8, look at verse 3. Again, the power it took God to raise Jesus Christ from the dead was far greater than what he exerted in creating our universe. Look at Psalms 8, look at verse 3. 
David said this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained. God made the universe with his fingers. Ding, 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 ding. Galaxy here, galaxy there, ding, 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 ding. He used fingers to make the universe. But I want you to see something. To bring redemption, to bring Jesus from the dead, he had to use his entire arm. I want you to see this. In Psalm 77, look at verse 15. He created the universe with his fingers, but he used his entire strength of his arm to raise Jesus from the dead and to redeem us. Psalm 77, 15 says, You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. And so look at Isaiah 53. This is the redemption chapter. This shows what Jesus would do in this chapter. It's the verse, the chapter that talks about by his stripes you were healed. But look at the first verse that opens the redemption chapter. Isaiah 53, 1 says, Who has believed our report? What's our report? The gospel. It's the good news of the finished work of Jesus. It says, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Notice it's the arm of the Lord when it talks about redemption. But notice all the word, the, the arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe. A lot of times the arm of the Lord is available to you, but it's not being revealed in your life because you're not believing, you're not speaking out God's word, you're not standing on his finished work, and you're not taking your authority that's been given to you, you're not tapping into the power of God that's flowing 24-7 to you, and so the arm of the Lord is, is, relieved, is relaxed there, but guess what, the minute you speak God's word under his anointing, his reign of the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you speak it out of your mouth, you, re, you have that revelation of the power flowing in you, and you believe it and speak and act on it, guess what, all of a sudden the arm of the Lord flexes. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. See, I, I look just like him. Because he's 80. He's 80. This same power that Paul struggled to use the Greek language and stretched it to its max to bring out the idea of how much power this is, this same power is now directed towards us when we believe God's word, when we speak God's word. This power can raise any dead situation you're in. It raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There wasn't a more hopeless situation than the second day while he was in that tomb. And it looked like all hope was gone. Everything they invested in was gone. The hope of Israel was gone. There didn't seem the devil thought he had won everything. It was dark. It was gloomy. There didn't seem to have any hope but the third day. Tell someone you're living in the third day. You're living in the third day. You're living in resurrection. And this resurrection power can raise any dead relationship you're in. This power can raise any dead financial situation you're in. This situation can solve any dead physical situation with cancer, with a death sentence over you. It will turn you around. It will bring you to health, bring you to prosperity. It opens tombs. Look at verse 20. Which he, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Look at the word worked. It's the Greek word energeo. 
energeo. So this is the fifth word. We've seen it before one time, but he's going to use another word. So five times he uses a Greek word about power in this section. Five stands for grace. It's his power by his grace. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. Jesus gives it to you as a gift. It's his power, but he gives it to you and delegates it to you for you to use it. And so he worked in, energized in Christ Jesus. He raised him from the dead. Actually, the Greek says he raised him out from among the dead. See, Jesus is the only unique person, human being that's ever lived in that the fact that when Jesus raised from the dead, he received a glorified body. And so, well, pastor, there's been a lot of people raised from the dead. During church history, back in the Bible, yeah, but they all died again. There's only one human being, one man that's ever been raised from the dead, will never die again, living in a glorified body. His name is Jesus. He's the first fruits of those that have risen from among the dead. And so among the dead means there's physically dead, but he's also speaking of spiritually dead. Unbelievers that have died and moved on, haven't accepted Jesus, that there's no hope for them. And it says he raised them from among the dead. In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 14. Jesus, or the Word, tells us here that we also need to wake up out of sleep and arise from out from among the dead. Spiritually, you've done that, but a lot of Christians are, are sleeping. They're carnal, and they're living just like unbelievers. They watch what unbelievers watch. They laugh at what unbelievers laugh at. They're interested in what unbelievers are interested in. They're engrossed in what unbelievers are engrossed in. And you can't tell any difference from them. You'd have to look very closely for signs of life. And Paul says here, he says, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from among the dead, and Christ will give you light. If it had 20 dead people up here and one person sleeping soundly, but really deep sleep, and you, you'd have to get very closely to figure out who's the one with signs of life. Welcome to some Christians. They're not in this church, but you have to look very, very closely for signs of life. But they're asleep from among the dead. Rise from among the dead. And so the dead are those that have been separated from the life of God. They're unbelievers. Look in Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 12. One day after Jesus comes back and he has a thousand-year reign, all unbelievers will be raised from under the earth. They will all stand before God and be judged. Look at Revelation 20, look at verse 12. And John said, I saw the dead. Say the dead. Yes. Small and great. What does that mean? Well, small means ones that, you know, no one knew about them when they were alive. The great are the ones that were notable. They had a name. They had a reputation. They have a Wikipedia page. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing. Well, I thought dead people lay down. No, I'm talking about dead in the Bible means a separation. Their, sep their, their spirit separated from the life of God. They're still active. And so one day the dead will stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Why their works? Because they basically said, I don't need Jesus. I believe my good outweighs my bad, and I will trust my good works. And God says, okay, when let's your works be judged, by your works you'll be judged. And it says, and the dead were judged according to their works. By these were written in the books, and those names were not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, were cast into the lake of fire. And so it says here, Jesus Christ was raised from, out from among the dead and seated. Say seated. seated. I think that's very important because Jesus is seated, but he's still operating in a role today. What role is Jesus operating in? 
in a high priestly role. And so he's in a high priest role, ever living to intercede for us as our high priest, but he's seated. How is that different than an Old Testament priest? You know, they, they always stood. There was, out of all of the, the furniture in the tabernacle, there was no chair. An Old Testament priest could not sit down. It was constantly under the law performing. But Jesus came under the law, fulfilled the law for us in perfection, and then sat down. And he's a finished work. And now we can rest in his finished work. He's a priest, but he shares everything with you. You're in him. So if he's a priest, what are you? You're a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. Melchizedek is a king priest. Guess what? He's a king, so are you. He's a priest, so are you. He's an eternal priest, so are you. You'll always be a king priest. But you're seated. But guess what? He, he tells us, you're seated with me. I share it with you. I share my seat with you. Look at Ephesians 2, look at verse 6. Ephesians 2, look at verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us pace together in heavenly places. Clueless translation. He made us sit together. Are you sitting in your soul? Your spirit's at rest. Your spirit's not freaking out about your financial problem. Your spirit's not freaking out about your health diagnosis. It's not freaking out about the, who's president right now and what the crazy. Your spirit's at peace with God. But what about your soul? Tell someone you need to make your soul sit down. <laughs> he made our spirits sit down, but you need to you need to cooperate in your soul sitting down. In heavenly places. This is where Christ is presently, in heavenly places. This is his perspective, looking down upon the earth from heavenly places. And how are we to deal with our problems here today? We're to deal with our problems here with the spiritual forces that come from there. Let me say it over here. We are in heavenly places with Christ. He made us sit with us in heavenly places. And so we're going to deal with problems here, natural problems here, by spiritual forces from there. Amen. And so you're seated in heavenly places spiritually, but what, is this per, what has been this perspective of your soul lately? What perspective have you been looking in? A lot of Christians, you're just in, you're down ground level. You're looking at everything in the natural, being overcome by what the president's doing, by what crazy liberal people are doing, and, and now they don't even know what bathroom to go into. And persecution, what's going on, and then you're overwhelmed watching the news, and, and you're looking at everything from a natural perspective. You need to go up higher. You can have his eyes, his perspective, and we're going to see it. For example, we flew out uh, from Colorado to go to Texas, and I always love flying out. And when you go up, all of a sudden, everything on the earth just starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I can look down, well, that was my workplace I used to have. But boy, look at that work, not this workplace. But I'd say, yeah, that's where I used to work. So much problems and turmoil. But look how small it is. It's just kind of fading away. Oh, that's my home. I have problems. But look how small it is. When you look at it from God's view, your big thing is so small. So small. You need a heavenly perspective. And you need to look down from where you're at, 
at your problem. Look at verse 21. How far are you above that problem? The same how far Jesus is above everything of the enemy. Look at verse 21. Far above. Say far above. Not above. It would be great to say above, but far, 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 far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and some names. Every name that's named. Not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Far above. And that is principality, power, might, dominion. That's God's and that's the world's and that's the demonic. He's above it all. And this is really speaking of angels. And you know the devil doesn't have a creative bone in his body. He only looks at what God has and imitates it and perverts it. He has no creative thing at all. Unbelievers that are out there thinking, oh, I've created new things. No. No, the devil just takes what God, what's true, and perverts it. So the devil, for a long time, he was an angel. He was in the angelic core in upper-level upper management. And he saw how God arranged it. There was archangels, those at the top, and then you have them five. And he says, you know, I can't do better than that. So when I create mine, I'll create mine in the same system order. And so he does that. So Jesus is above God's order and also the demonic order and has authority over them. Look at 1 Peter 3, look at verse 22. Jesus has power and authority over angels. 1 Peter 3, 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels... And authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Well, that's great for Jesus, but I'm now here. And that's, that's great for Jesus up there, but I'm here in the dirty now and now. Well, guess what? Jesus shares that with you as well. That you have authority over the devil. You have authority over all his dominion. As equal as Jesus has it, you have it. Matter of fact, in the coming age, you're going to rule over angels. Pastor, show me that verse. Well... Okay, look in 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 3. He's talking to a bunch of Christians that are arguing, arguing over petty little things, wanting to take each other to court over little things. And he says, you need to get out and get a heavenly mindset about really what you're calling in. What you're, what you're really going to be called to is more than this little thing you're dealing with. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Do you not know that you shall judge angels? Christian, you will judge angels? Well, pastor, is that bad, good, or good, or the angels are bad angels? Yes. I believe we'll have authority over angels. And so uh, definitely we have authority over the demonic angels, but in the age to come, they're going to be dealt with. But I think we'll be able to rule and reign over with Jesus over angels. We'll get to judge angels. And so, again, I don't know, maybe give a performance review to your angel. Mine, and I brought mine, big ghetto dude angel right over here. Don't mess with me. You know, it says that, that, you're the, the, that uh, before the face of God, that, that the little one's angel always beholds the face of God. Just because you grow up in your body doesn't mean you lose your angel. And so don't abuse your angel. Do the speed limit, because they do. Some of your angels are just showing up to church here. And so I'm sorry I overworked you. Sorry. I want to see your perspective of in him. Right now, the church is called to rule over the natural realm. Jesus is in heaven ruling over the spiritual realm, but as his body on the earth, 
We are to rule over the natural earth. Do you know how the sun is up during the day and it shines on everything? That's like Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. When he comes back, he's called the day star. He's called the day. And he'll have light. But, it, but he says, I'm leaving. Look at John 9. Look at verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. John 9. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's the day, while I'm still here. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So when he's here in his earthly ministry, when he comes back, it's like the sun coming back out, ruling the day. But guess what? During the night, who rules the night? The moon. The church is seen as the moon. The moon does not have life inherently or light inherently in itself. It reflects the light of the sun. In this, this church age, it's a dark world out there. But we're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, God's not worried about it. He's sitting up. He's at peace. Don't be fretting about what's going on down here. You're the one that's to rule and reign in this earth. You have authority in this earth. Unbelievers do not. Satan does not. Demons do not. CNN does not. The president does not. You do. Settle down. You made me do it. It's interesting to note that during the church age, the last 2,000 years, there have been no world empires. Before that, in the book of Daniel, that you'll see that you saw the Babylonian Empire that conquered the world, the Medo-Persians, the Greece. You saw the Roman Empire, the world dominations. But during the church age, there's no, there have been no world empires. Few have tried. Napoleon tried but could not. Hitler tried but could not. Guess what? There's no world empires because there is one world empire. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan is not able to set up his one world government as long as the church is here. When the church is removed, he says, now I can finally get with it. Are you taking your authority? Go out and vote. Get involved in the political process, but take your spiritual authority over the devil because our weapons are, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God, and our enemy's not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual forces in heavenly places, and you're far above them. What attitude should you have when you're seeing the dark world when everybody else is getting in fear and everybody's getting upset? The same God has when you have his perspective in Psalms 2. Look at verse 1. This is how God sees things. This is his attitude. It could be your attitude. Psalms 2, look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, that's Jesus, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's what's happening today. We don't want to want God's truth. We don't want God's truth about marriage. We don't want God's truth about sexuality. We don't want God's truth at all. Let's cast off his bonds. But I want you to see, what's God thinking about? Is he up there wringing his hands? Is he worried? Is he upset? Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Go, ha, 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 The Lord will hold them in derision. What's your attitude been? Principality, power, mights, 
and dominions. That's the ranking of God's angels and the demonic angels, and Jesus is over them all. Matter of fact, he's above every name that is to be named. Look at Philippians 2, look at verse 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. says, God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name, say the name, name. Jesus, which is above every name. So guess what? You know what? Cancer is a name. Poverty is a name. I don't care what you're facing. The doctor said that's what you got. That's a name. I don't care what you're facing. It has a name. Jesus Christ is far above any name, and he's given you the name. He's given you the authority of the name. You're far above it. You may, tell someone, you may not know who you are. The devil's shaking in his boots or whatever he wears. When he's in Colorado, he wears boots. That you would wake up and know your position. Far above him. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Not only in this age, that's the church age, but that which is to come, that's the millennial age, the thousand year reign, and throughout eternity. Look at verse 22. And he put some things, he put all things... Under his head, his feet. I, last time I didn't see a head just rolling around by itself. A head's connected to a body, and the lowest part of the body is the You might feel like I'm the big toe in the body of Christ. I'm the little toe. I'm just, but you're far above where the devil is. You're far above anything he's trying to throw at you. You need to know it. You need to know it, have revelation of it, and release the power, Amen. the dunamis that's flowing to you. And so all things are under his feet. Look at Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. This is a prom- the first promise of God after the fall. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's Satan and the woman. Who's the woman? Well, it brings out your seed and her seed. A woman does not have seed. But this speaks of the virgin birth. To where she's going to give birth to seed without receiving a natural man. This is the virgin birth through Jesus. This is Jesus and her seed. And so so Satan's seed and her seed. It says, and he shall bruise your head and and you will bruise his heel. Look at the word bruise in Hebrew. It's not bruise, it's crush. Crushed like a grape. When Jesus rose from the dead, he crushed his head, his authority, totally demolished it. And he has none. And so the church is the one that's supposed to be treading on the works of the devil. Look in Joshua. We're almost done. Joshua chapter 10 in type. We're going to see what Jesus did at the cross, burial and resurrection. But he's going to see also the church, what our role is in that victory. In John, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 10, and I don't have time to read the whole story, but five kings came out against Joshua, and Joshua defeats all five kings and their armies. 
He takes the five kings and puts them, defeats them and puts them in a tomb, puts them in a cave and puts a, rolls a big stone over it. Does that remind you of anything? And put them in the tomb, but then removes the tomb some days later and takes the kings out. I want you to see something. Read this in Joshua 10, look at verse 24. So it was when they brought out the kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Watch this, boys. I'm going to step on their necks. Clueless translation. What did Joshua say? Joshua said, You come near and you put your feet on their necks of these kings. That's what Jesus is saying to the church. I've defeated them. I put them in my tomb. But now I haven't kicked them off the planet yet. It's your job to keep them subjugated, keep them under your feet, and cause them to eat dust. And gave Jesus to be head over all things to the church. How many things? What are you dealing with? It's under all. He's the head. Raise your hand if you believe Jesus is your head. Say yes if Jesus is your head. Then why aren't you listening to what he's telling you to do? Now I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. Me and you's like this. Because I know you're following along. I'm talking to your neighbor. If he's your head because our body gets all signals from the head. Our body only does what the signals of the head goes... But it's something unique. God's giving you a free will. If he's your head and you say he's your head, are you doing what he's asking you to do? Are you being guided by, in your life by his direction? Are you doing things your way? Are you being led by the mind of Christ or your carnal mind? Well, pastor, when I figure it all out and I know how it's all going to work out, then I'll do that. That's not how it works. You're right. It doesn't work that way. You're unsubmitted to the head. Receive the signal. Receive the direction from the head and just follow. Move. And you'll be blessed. He gave him to be head over all things to the church. And so look at verse 23. We're finishing up. Which is his body. The church is his body. This brings out the fact that anything God does here, he has to do it through you. He has to do it through his body. God is not just coming down and doing whatever he wants to. He must do it through you. And every one of you have a crucial part in what he's doing in the earth today. Well, I'm just blown, Joe. You know, I'm Jane Doe and I'm just John Smith and size eight foot, just like, no, 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 you have your own fingerprint that's never been before, never will be again, you're a unique creation of God, you have a unique purpose of God, you have a purpose in life, and so God wants to use you to make a difference. To touch the church is to touch Jesus. When your toe gets hurt, it it registers in your head. The fact that you're his body on earth now and that you're fulfilling his calling with his inheritance and his, and his power is that you're going to take shots for Jesus. And the Lord wants me to tell you that what you're going through right now is more about him than you. 
and the pressure you're under, the daily pressure from Satan and circumstances and attacks from people and just the pressure you're facing as a Christian, or you're shining his light in this earth, you're taking shots for him, and the Lord Jesus Christ says, I know it. I feel every bit of it, and I thank you. Thank you for being on assignment. Thank you for loving people enough to follow me. Thank you. And he honors you. The first martyr, who was that? Stephen. Acts 7, look at verse 56. Stephen is taking stones and rocks to his body as he says this. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing. When he went into heaven, he was seated. But now he's standing. He stood up in honor of a martyr, his body. And whenever you take his shot, he honors you. He says, thank you. The fullness of him who fills all in all. He's the fullness who fills. The actual Greek says he is filling, is filling, is filling. He fills the entire universe. He's filling the entire earth with his glory. But there's one, one part of creation he can't fill on his own accord. It's you. He's given you out of all creation a free will. Will you be filled? Will you be filled with my word? Will you be filled with my spirit? Will you allow me to fill your life, fill your mind, fill your direction, fill your values, fill your decisions? Will you allow me to fill you? Are you letting him fill you? So he can fill all in all. A husband, a wise husband, will tell his wife often, you're my all in all. Honey, you're my all in all. And Jesus Christ is saying to you, his bride, you're my all in all. Bow your head. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Jesus, that not only did you rise out of death and you ascended high far above the devil and was seated at the right hand of God, but you share everything you have with us. And you raised us up and you set us there. And the Lord's saying, what perspective are you having? Some of you have been just so immersed in this world. And he's saying, come up higher with me. Come up higher. I'll see it from my perspective. Because what you're dealing with so big in your life right now is so, so very small. Next to me and my power. That's flowing to you constantly. And I want to give you a word, a rhema, that is not without power to fulfill what I have for you in my life. And you say, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm going to make a decision to start seeing things and ask him to show me what he sees about my life and about my future and what's happening down here from his perspective. And I need that perspective. And I'm asking him by his spirit to do that. I want you to raise your hand high. Say, that's me, Lord. Show me your perspective of what's going on. He'll do it, literally. He's going to do it. A new perspective. And Father, I thank you for doing that in the name of Jesus by your spirit to your glory, for your honor, and for your purposes. In the name of Jesus, amen. I believe that there are people here that are they're in a situation and they're struggling with that situation. And God's saying, find a word that's, that is in his promises and stand on that word. Because you got to remember, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And God 
you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside of you. So just go around and confess that word and stand on it.